Hello and welcome to episode 29 of Can We Still Be Friends, the podcast that tests the limits of the friendship between two people who mistake movie taste for personal morality. I'm Nate Goss, here with Ryan Ebling. With the recent controversy surrounding the Confederate flag, we decided to revisit Gone with the Wind, a certifiable classic whose romantic view of the Confederate South seems problematic for many modern-day movie watchers. For this discussion, we've invited back our friend Eric Fortman, a longtime fan of Gone with the Wind. This movie doesn't need much of an introduction. It's one of the highest grossing films of all time. It won 10 Oscars, and it's often listed as one of the best films ever made. At nearly four hours, it's also one of the classic films that people mean to see, but don't. Gone with the Wind is a paragon of the big Hollywood movie, complete with huge movie stars, elaborate set design, and an epic story. As it has aged, its depiction of the pre-Civil War South as a golden age, whose loss is to be mourned, has sat more and more uneasily with viewers. We want to discuss whether or not the movie that has captivated moviegoers for 75 years can still be magical despite its antiquated views. Or is it so steeped in outmoded thinking that it's unable to rise above it? Keep listening. As God is my witness, as God is my witness, they're not going to lick me. I'm going to live through this and when it's all over... I'll never be hungry again. No, nor any of my own. If I have to lie, steal, cheat, or kill, as God is my witness, I'll never be hungry again. That was, of course, uh, one of Scarlett O'Hara's most famous speeches from uh, Gone with the Wind, when kind of her whole life is changing. Yeah. She's deciding to become a survivor. Yeah. Cue uh, Destiny's Child. I did when I watched it. <laughs> you, you paused I the movie? Paused the movie through, instead of yeah. the intermission music, <laughs> you played Destiny's well, Child. Well, I just thought it was would contemporize it yeah. a little bit. But <laughs> All right. So here we are uh, discussing Gone with the Wind. Yeah, um, um, we needed backup on this one. So we brought our friend Eric Fortman in, like we said in the introduction. Some of you might remember Eric from our uh, conversation of Grey Gardens, mm -hmm. which, you know, uh, was a real delight to, to have you with us, Eric. So I'm really yeah. glad that we could have you back for Gone with the Wind. Mm -hmm. Thank you for having me back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so Eric, we asked you to come back because you've... Uh, Love this movie, right? Or have I do? Yeah, you've got a long uh, history with this movie, mm -hmm. and um, we thought that you would maybe have uh, some insights because we couldn't really watch this movie much more than once, uh, as it's about four hours in preparation. <laughs> Although for you this did, podcast. I think you said did you, you watch it more than once for prep for this. You watched the movie. Yeah, more I watched than it once. this morning, and I watched it last week. Oh. Well, really? I'm talking... That's dedication, <laughs> so, so we appreciate that. I'm being lazy, I guess. <laughs> but we, d we knew we wanted to talk about Gone with the Wind. The, the movie seems to have come up in conversation a little bit. In fact, mm -hmm. I, on our Facebook and Twitter, I recently shared an um, article written by uh, Drive-By Truckers, Pat Patterson Hood, um, mm -hmm. someone from the Muscle Shoals area of Alabama, musician talking about sort of this, what he would, he calls it the duality of the Southern thing. And, and yeah. the, 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 the hard thing about living in the South and being able to sort of reconcile or, or assimilate the ideas of Gone with the Wind and the sort of picture that paints with something like, say, 12 Years a Slave mm -hmm. and uh, a much more recent picture of that same South. So we thought 
we would like to revisit the movie, but we felt like we needed to bring in a, a hired gun, I guess. Yeah, to yeah. <laughs> someone with a little bit more perspective. And maybe but, we should say and, or, a, a storm just started. So if you, if you hear thunder throughout the recording or if there's pops from lightning, uh, that's what that is. Yeah. Just sound effects. It's yes. the soldier. It's, Nate's, Nate's practicing his it's not sound the, effects. It's not the Foley artist we hired in the other room to, <laughs> no. to spice up the no. episode a little right. bit. Right. If you hear boing, <laughs> that's the, that's Foley, the artist. Foley artist. Because we told him to be funny. Yeah. So why don't we uh, go through, maybe we'll go around and let's just talk very quickly about our experience uh, the first yeah. time we ever saw Gone with the Wind. Yeah. Well, Eric, since you're, you're, you're here because of your history with Gone with the Wind, why don't you start? I can't remember the first time I watched the movie. I read the book first. Really? And I yeah, and I think like as a kid? As a ki- yeah, I was probably like 12. Wow. Maybe 12. Can you answer why? I just was there. <laughs> Did you just pick it up and Yeah. Okay. And you know, it was Gone with the Wind. You know, there's yeah, that's Gone a, with the that's Wind. Famous. You know, it's like Yeah, you know? like if you're just a kid who wants to get into the classics, right. that's kind of the that's the one that you picked up. And it was I loved it. Wow. You oh. know, I I really loved it and then I remember putting off seeing the movie till I was done as like my reward to finishing the book. Oh, I remember going to Blockbuster and getting it. It was like two, you know, VHS. Of course, tapes. yeah. And then watching it, and um, that was it. I gotta say, you sound it like was... an interesting twelve-year-old. Where <laughs> Gone with the Wind is the reward. That's another podcast. <laughs> That's, That's pretty... another podcast. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So you saw it then after finishing the book. Yeah, and you know, it was like for me, really, it was like. Like seeing Star Wars or, you know, like it w- just became a part of yeah, my life. You know, that, you, it was like, one of those movies you just, yeah, you just watched again and again. Probably seen it 20, 30 times. Wow. That's so that, you know, that's you at know? least, that's at least once every year. Yeah. More. I mean, you know, yeah. the yeah. movie lives and it breathes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think actually the first time I saw it wasn't even that long ago. It was um, probably maybe like three years ago. Uh, and it was, again, it was one of those where it was uh, sort of eat your vegetables. This is a movie that everyone counts as an American classic, uh, some, sort of like the the pinnacle of the Hollywood mm-hmm. studio era. And so I was like, well, I, I guess I kind of need to do this. I wanted to watch it because I felt like even as a kid, I, I was a kid. Do you remember when there was that TV miniseries, Scarlet? Mm-hmm. That was like oh, a, yeah. it was like a eight hour miniseries on prime time on primetime television, and I remember as a kid that that was such an event, even though I didn't watch it. I think the channel, I don't remember if it was CBS or what it was, but they aired Gone with the Wind, and I, yeah. I don't know if you remember when you were a kid when those things were events. Like I remember yeah. when Indiana Jones was yeah. played on TV, and that like was Wizard like, of Oz was shown like every Thanksgiving. Yeah, yeah, and I remember Gone with the Wind. It was like this thing that it was going right. to be on TV because. They didn't really have it on TV all that often. I'm kind of curious. Um, the makers of the miniseries thought we needed more Scarlett O'Hara? Well, I didn't watch it. I read the synopsis on IMDb, and I guess it's uh, Scarlett ends up in Ireland for some reason. Well, it was, it was... Oh, because of her dad? Yeah, I mean, that's why, but I don't remember... The was book, it after? It's the, after. Yeah, yeah, the book oh, Scarlett was written, I think, in the early 90s, and it was authorized by... Margaret Mitchell's estate and the hype around that was just like now with the Harper Lee book, like people okay. like couldn't believe that the they were going to and the downfall, the, the, the downfall, <laughs> yeah. like they couldn't believe, you know, it's the next, sto- you know, part of the story. Hmm. Okay. Okay. I guess I was being short sighted, uh, <laughs> thinking, yeah, there's a lot, Scarlett had a lot of living to do <laughs> Certainly, at did. the end of it's the, true. Yeah. the wind. So, so all of that is just to say that, even before I watched the movie, I had a little bit of a background in maybe feeling like it 
it it was an important movie and I watched it and I and like I said only about maybe three years ago and I gave it on my on my letterboxd account where it's a, out of a five star rating I gave it four stars um, and I think the reason was because I appreciated that it didn't end the way I thought it was gonna end and that I there were parts that I was wrestling with even then, but overall, I actually did love like the Technicolor and the mm-hmm. scope of it. Mm-hmm. And those of you who have listened to the podcast in the past know that I'm just kind of a sucker for these historical dramas, these costume dramas, and uh, the lengthy runtime just really didn't bother me all that much. And I was with it the whole time, and it was unexpected. The characters did things I didn't expect, and so for that reason, I mm-hmm. gave it four stars. How about you, Ryan? Yeah, that was like when I saw it. I saw it in college, so it's been about 10 years. Jeez. Um, and it was very much like, oh, I should probably watch this. People are still talking about it. <laughs> it looks like it's here to stay. Um, and I thought, oh, I'm going to have to watch it in installments. I'm going to have to like be really caffeinated to watch this. Um, but I was surprised to see I watched it all the way through and it didn't feel like a chore. Mm-hmm. And I did enjoy it. And I, I, I really exactly like you said, the last third of the movie is what makes me really like it. And like you said, it, it, the movie went where I didn't expect it to. I did not expect the characters to do what they were doing. I didn't expect the movie to honestly be as cynical as it was. Yeah. Which, I think that's what it was. Yeah. Um, I was surprised that it wasn't just this swooning, you know, romance um, with a bunch of soft filters and... Because of that, yeah, I gave it four stars too, actually. To kind of add to what you're saying, because I think we're kind of saying a little bit of the same thing, is what what I felt like even the first time watching it was that even though some of the particulars of the context seemed very antiquated, right. the movie had kind of a modern feel to it in the way it treated romance mm-hmm. and the way it treated relationships. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It was, I mean, Scarlett was in the driver's seat. Like, that I hadn't she expected. She chose her husband's. Yeah. And there wasn't, it could have been so melodramatic too. Um, and so I was impressed that there were times where they just kind of went quickly over something and I was like, oh wow, we're doing this. And at the same time, uh, another thing that was very modern about it is just the filmmaking is impeccable at times. There are, uh, there's that famous crane, but also there was one scene that I noticed this time that I noticed that first time too was the, it's like, um, Atlanta's burning, Melly's giving birth, and it's all silhouette against the orange yes, background. Yeah. And I was just, I, I, I was just struck by some of those visuals that no, I, I've not seen anybody doing um, from any of the movies I've seen around that time. Right, not that time. No, mm-hmm. I mean it struck me as almost Bergman esque or something. Yeah, you know, and Tarantino's done that. Yeah. Like, um, so yeah, four four stars for me from the ten years ago watching it. Okay, so. Now, we've all watched it in preparation for this episode, so we're going to go ahead and jump right into the conversation. Why don't we just, to get that baseline level of how we're feeling, go around and just maybe say, out of a five-star rating, what are you giving this movie this time around? I would still, I would give it four and a half. Okay. Five. Yeah. Okay. I know before we aired this, I actually asked if we even wanted to do the letterbox thing, and it was more of a personal thing. Like, I don't, I don't know that I've had a movie where... If I look at it one way, I want to give it one star. Yeah. And if I look at it another way, I'm right. still going to keep it at the four star. I'm going to keep it right now at the four star. I'm exactly because, with you. Because the more I've kind of settled with it, I watched this probably about two, three, four days ago. So I've had some time to kind of just simmer with it. And when all is said and done, I think I'm going to keep it at a four star. But 
boy, sometimes when I think about this movie, right. I just hate it. Yeah. <laughs> and I've never had that with a movie in this way. Yeah. You know? I, this is, uh, the premise of our podcast doesn't hold up because that is exactly what I was going to say. Oh, really? I was, gonna, <laughs> I was when we started recording, I was saying, I was preparing to say a lower star rating. But I'm like, but you know what? As a movie, watching this movie and as an entertainment, as a story, it's still four stars. If I start looking at other things, it would definitely drop. But I'm going to say four stars right now. Let's, let's talk about the movie. Let's talk about what we like about the movie or don't like about the movie as a piece of film. Okay. Not socially or anything right now. Right. So obviously this movie has endured. What are those things that we see when we watch it that we think resonate for 75 years mm -hmm. still? Well, I mean, it's four it's, hours running time. It's her story. I mean, that's mm -hmm. her story can be set in, you know, feudal England. It can be contemporary mm -hmm. story now. I yes. mean, her story, her journey is timeless mm -hmm. and her relationships with people, you know, I mean, that's the heart of the story. And I mean, if you put the movie and, you know, when Margaret Mitchell wrote this, I mean, you know, she was a daughter of the old South. And, you know, she grew up listening to these stories from her her relatives. And I think she said she was like 16 before she realized that the South didn't win the war. Wow. Actually. <laughs> and, you know, and she put that timeless story in this context of her romanticized view of the South. Well, and you even get that with the introduction. Right. With the introduction like, text about the knights and their ladies right. fair. Um, Master of slave. Yeah, and I um, found myself noticing this time that it's a tremendously compelling story. Because I've, I've heard timeless stories and been bored with them. But this one, you know, I know some people, Scarlet really rubs in the wrong way, and at times she definitely rubs me the wrong way, but by the end of the movie, I mean, she is a very compelling character and mm -hmm. very three-dimensional. Every character does something in this movie that surprises me. Well, it was really popular, the book, you know, and the movie came out during the Depression. Mm. So, you know, a lot of people related to her and her struggle through right. poverty and coming up on top and the unfairness of life, you know. Yeah, yeah. Another thing just about the movie, I mean, we, we touched on it a little bit. It's gorgeous. It really yeah. is. Yeah. There are scenes that just pop mm -hmm. like the end of the movie that dark staircase the red staircase that she walks down and it's halfway hidden in darkness and just the image of that absolutely was amazing and something that now this was directed by victor fleming and Couple george kukor yeah. and sam wood for a yeah. few scenes for i think bit. yeah it was it was actually more it was kind of selznick's thing right yeah like, and this you know, is like if you know anything movie. about David O. Selznick, I mean, he was like eight Spielbergs put together. Oh, yeah? Yeah, he was. He ruled Just, Hollywood. And oh, this movie okay. was, I mean, it was his madness, his genius, all poured into this movie. Mm -hmm. He was responsible for, yeah, they, they went through like three, four directors. Victor Fleming had a heart attack in the middle of the movie wow. because of the stress. Wow. They would shoot like different scenes simultaneously. He was behind the costume designs with Walter Plunkett, who designed really? the, the dresses, you know, the props, the sets, like everything. He had this eye for detail. And I mean, he's really the reason why, you know, obviously he it looks that, way. Yeah, yeah. And it has a continuity to it. I Definitely mean, like, does. you know, you don't notice that this thing was done by a handful of directors, you know. Yeah. And another thing that I think sets it apart from movies of its time is I either they had amazing outdoor sets or they actually were filming on location. 
Because yeah, on the back lot. He had a he had a back lot at his studio. Okay. He was an independent filmmaker. Oh, wow. And that was one of the reasons why the movie got done was because he didn't want like the big studios like MGM or Warner Brothers to like cut it into pieces, into yeah. chins and certain things. So yeah, he had this whole back lot and he destroyed all his sets from oh. his previous movies. Like The Burning of Atlanta, uh-huh. that's the burning of the King Kong set. Whoa. Really? Yeah. <laughs> and they filmed it in one go. I was going to say, I mean, it looks yeah, like a building burning yeah. and falling down. And it was. There's nothing else it can do. <laughs> yeah. And uh, you and know some a, of the, the that stuff is unforgettable. You know mm-hmm. the the burning of Atlanta scenes in particular, and you know talking about we were talking about the silhouettes of you know Melanie mm-hmm. uh, through her labor scenes, but also just like the carriages going yeah. through with the fire as the background, and right? Some incredible stuff, and the Technicolor. I mean, right. for me, that Technicolor is just it's I love it. You know, mm-hmm. it's so oh, yeah. it's so rich. Yeah. It's that old Hollywood. Everything that's great about that stuff, really, the overture. The mm-hmm. the 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 opening credits with you know everything listed there yeah. and the intermission and the mm-hmm. entract and the the ending um, music it didn't bore me like right. it's so good I've seen a lot of movies that have that stuff and I'm like oh, here we go fast <laughs> forward um, but it just works so well in this movie all the trappings I find. Uh, Wizard of Oz is a little tedious sometimes. It's Technicolor, way too Technicolor. <laughs> and, you know, some of that stuff. This movie, I never felt overwhelmed, really. Like, mm-hmm. it's just, it was a really surprisingly balanced movie mm-hmm. in, in the way it used the technology and the, the, the trappings mm-hmm. of a Hollywood movie. The, the epic quality of it is even in those shots. I mean, that pullback shot oh, of, yeah. you know, the Confederacy. Right. Um, in Atlanta, the soldiers, you, you know, know, it still thrills you when you it see does. it. It, it does. still does, I knew, and it's, I knew it was coming. Yeah, and I was uh, it's still because it, the camera just keeps backing right. up. It just keeps going, and you're like, "Whoa!" The funny, whoa. a funny thing about that scene it, during the premiere, Margaret Mitchell and her husband, you know, in the big Atlanta premiere when that mm-hmm. scene happened. He said to her, well, if we had that many soldiers, we would have won the war. <laughs> you know, it was Hollywood. And, yeah, 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 yeah. And But the thing is that's that I kind of forgot was that this movie is not even in widescreen. Right. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. when the movie started, I grabbed the box and I was <laughs> like, did I get a full screen version? Because no, it feels it's... like it, that sort of standard aspect ratio, you still get that epic sense, um, the scope of some of those shots yeah. within that frame. I told you, I think, when, I, when you told me about this, that last year for the 75th anniversary, I saw it on the big screen for yeah. the first time ever. Mm-hmm. And it did. It took my breath away. Like that scene and I, just the I color can imagine. and the sound in the movie theater. It yeah. really was stunning. It, so you can imagine in a day before television, when the theater was kind of all you had, this thing must have just been mind-blowing. Yeah. I know? mean, no wonder it set records that lived for a long, long time. Yeah. And there are movies, and we've talked about them, where... They were groundbreaking and must have been stunning at the time. Mm-hmm. And we'll watch them because it's good to see where that stuff started. Gone with the Wind, it it works still so well. It holds up. It's still, like you said, breathtaking. And I think one of the things is that you don't see that crane shot over and over again. He didn't do it and then say, like, well, that worked. And so every time I want this reaction, I'm going to do the crane shot. Right. Um, there's that scene... Later in the movie, it's after the war. Um, it's when Kennedy and Ashley 
have gone to a Their political, political meeting. meeting. Yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. and oh, and then the, chem- the oh, soldiers yeah. come yeah. back. Yeah, and it like whip pans between the women's reactions and the it last one. It always reminds me of a is, Hitchcock shot. Right, that scene. And a lot of people mm-hmm. talk about Citizen Kane using that, and I think they talk about it in Citizen Kane because he uses it a lot. And I think that's why people watch Citizen Kane and say, "I can see why it's important, but it's a little bit tedious now." They used that technique once in Gone with yeah. the Wind in one scene, mm-hmm. and they used it so well that they end up very dramatically whip pan extreme close up on Scarlet's eyes, lit very dramatically. Yeah, but it, it just works because there was a, for all of its opulence, there's a lot of uh, self restraint. So when you were you were saying, let's just talk about what we like about the film as a film, were you more sort of just trying to hit on those sort of technical aspects that we were just touching on? Sure, or about the story or the characters. Yeah, because I think actually, I mean, you were talking about the story being timeless. You're right. It's a very sort of, it's almost like a medieval fable or something Mm -hmm. like that if you really want to, I mean, if you really want to try to simplify it. But I think that one of the reasons that it does still hold up or at least is something that we have to keep revisiting is because those characters that are in it, Scarlet, Rhett Butler, Ashley, you know, Melanie, these characters of that antebellum aristocracy, they are really complicated characters. You were talking mm-hmm. about how they weren't one-dimensional, but I mean, I'm, take, I'm saying like, I mean, we talk about now in television, the rise of the anti-hero mm-hmm. and the rise of, and how that was such a like thing that we thought was so groundbreaking. Yeah. I mean, forget hero, villain, anti-hero. You don't know what to make of hardly right. any of these characters. Except for Melanie. Yeah, I mean, is, yes, but still, yeah. But she's also going. seen as weak and naive, right. like. But she's what, really not. That's I what mean, I. That's what I love about it. Yeah, that's why them. she's not. That even though she's the most clearly good, that there's that mm-hmm. there's somebody that that she's somebody to root for. There are those moments where she surprises you with great strength. That mm-hmm. she's she's been so weak, like when Scarlet shows up to the party, yeah. or the scandal. What a lovely dress, Scarlet, darling. India wasn't able to come tonight. Will you be an angel? I do need you to help me receive my guests. There's me. Here's our darling Scarlet. Good evening. Good evening. Why, Scarlet. Good evening. Good evening, Miss Scarlet. Ashley, aren't you going to get our Scarlet a glass of punch? she has the, the the character strength to to forgive her in yeah. front of everybody and again she comes out with the sword yeah when she because you know she would have killed that soldier too right yeah yeah that's what i was saying every character does something that surprises you that and, you didn't expect yeah and i think that that is what also simultaneously frustrates a lot of people with the movie who don't like it um is that you would think if this were a traditional Hollywood movie that Scarlet mm-hmm. is supposed to be your hero yep. and you're mad when she's not. You're right. mad when she's childish and yeah. when she's selfish and she doesn't seem to ever learn her lesson. And she's does... so stubborn and so manipulative. And then you think, okay, well, then if she's not supposed to be the hero, then maybe Rhett Butler's supposed to be the hero and he's the one that's going to speak truth to her and he does but he's also got a lot of hang-ups of his own mm-hmm. like he's got some misguided virtue with the confederacy and he's got his own problems with being pretty selfish mm-hmm. and and vindictive and, yes exactly and you never really get a sense of who you're even supposed mm-hmm. to be rooting for in this yeah. movie and i think that can frustrate a lot of people including myself at times yeah um but it can also be what makes the movie one of the most interesting character studies i get i get frustrated a lot with scarlet 
and I'm not clear how much I'm supposed to. I feel, and a lot of that, that's sort of a complicated feeling because you think you have these old Hollywood movies figured out. And especially the way she's filmed in soft focus, mm-hmm. in these beautiful dresses, the perfect hair, perfect makeup, looking so gorgeous. You're like, well, no, in, in Hollywood movies, she's supposed to, I'm supposed to love everything about her. There's mm-hmm. shorthand there. Oh, film her this way, you love everything about her. There's nothing bad. Okay, well, I'm really not happy with what she's doing right now. Am I supposed to like it? Am I supposed mm-hmm. to be attracted to this? And later on in the movie, you kind of realize, yes and no. You're supposed right. there are, the, There's good and bad to it. Right now she's very young and there's a there's almost only bad to it. And later there's more good than you saw earlier. But again, you to me she kind of uh, reminds me of Audrey Hepburn and Audrey Hepburn never played a complicated character really in any movie that I've seen. Maybe Breakfast at Tiffany's, but so you just look at her and you're like, "Oh, this is somebody I'm supposed to love." Mm-hmm. Um and you don't. I'm kind of surprised it took off in 1939 the way it did 1940 that people loved it so much because i can't, i don't know how much they saw that sort of a complicated yeah. character their leading lady being so unlikable i feel like in a lot of ways it's even as if the movie itself hasn't settled these matters at all mm-hmm. selznick or whoever's kind of or maybe going back to mitchell because there is a there is a part of you that is supposed to, I think, believe this is just Scarlett's point of view. Um, but you're also seeing Scarlett for who she is. Yeah. And so uh, that's where I think there's a little bit of confusion even in the movie. I, I don't think that it works to its, I think that's to its credit, yeah. not that it works right. against it. Which I believe, I think I was reading that Selznick really did want to be very faithful to the mm-hmm. to the book. And I think that that may be why the movie is so anti-Hollywood in a lot of ways. The setting itself is extremely complicated and the movie glosses over certain things but then it kind of tries to pull back a little bit with like one or two lines here and there with the historical stuff yeah. and it's almost like the movie itself is almost wrestling as you're watching as well and, yeah and and there's a tension in the movie making one of the struggles i kind of had watching it is that every time i watch a movie i always ask myself what's the movie trying to say mm-hmm. about something or what's the yeah. director trying to say about this What's it trying to say about the way society ought to be or whether Scarlet is supposed to be admired or loathed or whether it's saying that, you know, Rhett is the cut from stone dreamboat that everyone should desire, you know, whether slavery was an atrocity or whether the movie's saying it's a little bit more benign or whether the South Mm -hmm. were victims or whether they had it coming. Yeah. And, you know the more I try to think about where the mo- what the movie's even trying to say about that, I just get more and more frustrated yeah. and uncomfortable. But that's what makes the movie so great. Right, right. because it's the movie... Lit. Because that's what I, makes it live. Yeah, and I believe, right, you know? I believe, you know, as I think we all probably do, that a movie does have a complete life of its yeah. own. It goes on separate from the creators, and it still has so much to say to us, you know? Yeah, and the thing is, uh, we kind of chose this to talk, to explore what it says about the South, but even what the movie says about the South is complicated mm-hmm. and i think it calls the the viewers to really interact with the story in a way that a lot of movies don't and i'm sure it's you know almost cliche to say that scarlet is uh you know a symbol for the south but what happened to me when i watched it this time was i got so frustrated with the way she was manipulating everybody around her that when bad stuff started happening i started saying like yeah chicken's coming home to roost mm-hmm. you deserved that mm-hmm. but then the movie and margaret mitchell you know push it further and like well did she deserve this 
that happened to her? It's like, well, maybe that was a little too much. All right, well, what about this? What's like, one that you would maybe think was a little too just much? Just everything that ends up happening. You oh, know, okay. like, okay, so she doesn't get Ashley. She marries this one guy and he dies right away. Okay, yeah, that's come up and that was, you, you deserved that. She comes home to a completely ruined Terra and Earth that won't yield anything. And now she's penniless and has no food and no one to support her. Okay, well, maybe she didn't deserve that much. But then it, as it goes along, things start going well, and then she starts acting badly again. And chickens come home to roost. And like, yeah, she deserved that. And then, you know, maybe near the end, like, Rhett... Like, no one deserves their child dying. Right. You know, like, like, no one deserves Okay, that. yeah, that was a little <laughs> much. And she didn't do anything to make that happen. Yeah. And I wonder if that's sort of the South. They had slaves, and they seceded, and they deserved to lose the war. They deserved to lose... They're slaves, but burn every major city to the ground. Like, okay, that maybe was a little too much. And then the carpetbaggers coming in and taking advantage of them. It's like, uh, yeah, maybe, maybe, okay, maybe, maybe they've, yeah. they've well, that's suffered the, enough. And that's it, where the debate really comes in because that's and I know that that's is what the, it, the depiction of it. That yeah, sort of that's thing. the depiction exactly. But you've also you got know. the history of it. It's happened throughout history. You've got World War One. You know the Germans. Yeah, they rose up and tried to battle the world, as Norm Macdonald put it. And then they just completely got stomped after that. It's like, well, maybe they didn't deserve that bad. Um, but it's a real difficult question. How much is too much punishment? How much grace do people deserve? When have they had enough? And when when are you done paying for it? Yeah, it, I mean, it, those questions are certainly there. I think what frustrates a lot of people today, and, and this is what frustrates me if you want to bring in the historical aspect of it because i think that is a good question to ask but what's difficult is that the movie itself shows a lot of blindness in absolutely and or at least a lack of scope um there is in this movie no voice for the voiceless no barely even any recognition of any downtrodden or oppressed so you really have to wonder yeah, of course. Like, you know, did she deserve to have her land just stripped of everything and have her property taken away? Well, you know, pull it back to the Southern aristocracy. Did they not really have it coming? I yeah. mean, you know, no, did they even in literal agricultural terms reap what they've sowed? I mean, just because Scarlet and all these other rich families yeah. didn't notice the injustice around them or didn't yeah. seem to turn a blind eye to it, it doesn't mean it doesn't need correcting. Well, and they literally <laughs> reaps what they you know, sow and that they overfarmed the land right. and other things. I'm not but, saying... I, you, I, know, I, I know you're not trying to, I'm like, saying this movie raises those questions. Yes. I don't think that this movie necessarily is what I would point to to say that's a this fair is way of answering. Yeah, those, I'm saying yeah. it raises the questions, and that's one of the things that keeps it compelling as a movie. Right, that keeps Scarlet from slipping into just completely grating, irritating territory. Right, really, the heart of it is you have to understand her motivation Mm -hmm. of the whole movie. Her motivation is survival for herself. Mm -hmm. I mean, she says that at the end of Act One, I mean, she's never going to let her family go hungry again, and that is her motivation of her life. That's why she marries Frank Kennedy to save the farm. You know, that's why she does business with the Yankees to sell the lumber, to make money so she won't starve, Mm -hmm. you know? And I think that her complications are just born from that, conflict that she you know will never be hungry again right and you know Rhett is the only one that Rhett and Melanie you know are the only ones that really understand that but she realizes that too late from Rhett and Melanie that's the end of the movie right yeah yeah for me um like this southern aristocracy the fall of that 
I mean, that's Ashley. You know, like, I never, like, tie her really into all that. Ashley and Melanie, even though Melanie's strong, like, they represent the fall of, like, I hate Ashley. I hate him so much. Yeah. And with each viewing, like, I loathe him more and more, you <laughs> yeah. know? And because he does represent that. It makes you feel so much more sympathy for Mel- Melanie. Totally, too. yeah. Yeah, he is the most stuck in that yeah, world. Yeah, for sure. Because he's, he's, he's the and one And he knows who, that. Not that I mind splitting rails. But I do mind very much losing the beauty of that that life I loved. If the war hadn't come, I'd have spent my life happily buried at Twelve Oaks. But the war did come. I saw my boyhood friends blown to bits. I saw men crumple up in agony when I shot them. And now I find myself in a world which for me is worse than death. A world in which there's no place for me. Oh, I can never make you understand because you don't know the meaning of fear. You never mind facing realities. And you never want to escape from them as I do. Now, we, it's interesting you're bringing this stuff up because I, I keep saying, like, oh, yeah, I did. In my head, I'm like, yeah, that is true that the movie or the writers, I'm just going to say the movie and know what we're talking about. The movie knows that Ashley is an ass and what he's saying is hypocritical. Mm-hmm. But while I was watching the movie, it just felt so glamorized and romanticized, the the view of what the South was like. Uh-huh. And that opening title card where it I mean, says... Think, you know, you have to put that in the context of the time, too. I mean, yeah. it was made in 1938-39. Yeah. A lot of people had that view. Yeah. You know what I mean? And Well, yeah, and that's the thing. I, I don't think that this movie necessarily depicts what life was like in the South accurately. Oh, for sure. It's, it yeah. says more about what early 20th century America and Hollywood oh, for, was yeah. starting to tell themselves about the they, Civil War. That they the wanted South. to believe about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, one of the things that stuck out to me that um, I, I saw Selma recently, so this might be why this scene stuck out to me, but how they depicted the guy telling freed slaves that they were going to be voting. You know what we're going to do? What? We're going to give every last one of you 40 acres and a mule. And a mule? 40 acres and a mule. Gee! Because we're your friends. And you're going to become voters. And you're going to vote like your friends do. And the way it was shown, we didn't really see the characters reacting to that so much. But it felt to me very much like the movie was saying, like, can you imagine what would happen if black people wanted yep. to vote and yeah. got to vote? Well, I think um, that's, I mean, I think it was, that was what it was trying to say. Yeah. Right. And it's yeah. very obvious in the way they're depicting that, that you're supposed to think, boy, that's, that's not terrible. a good idea. That right. is a terrible right. idea. And yeah. these were things the federal government was trying to put in place oh, yeah. to build up a South that included. African-Americans, you know, and it wasn't completely altruistic because yeah. part of it was like, well, we don't want them all coming to the North. But, I mean, the movie is actually very clear in saying these were the tragedies. These were the things that should not have happened during Reconstruction. Yeah. And I think that is mm-hmm. what really grates on people today watching it. Yeah. You're like, well, you are definitely stuck yeah. in your time. And I think that it'll be interesting to think of what movie came out now that's going to have that effect, right. you know, mm-hmm. 30, 40, 50 years, 75 years from now that that we're watching right now 
and are totally fine with mm -hmm. and generations from now are going to watch and be like i don't think this movie can yeah. be stomached anymore right but even just the way that opening title card it lists knights and their ladies and then in the same sentence lists masters and their slaves right as a dream that is now gone with the wind it's a lament yeah yeah when slaves had masters and white people could own other people man <laughs> and it's just it, that that put a, that cast a pall over the first third of the movie for me mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. the movie ends up kind of dropping that southern thing a little bit it, it stops being so overtly I, worshipful of it that accepts way of life it, i think by the end it kind of accepts that it's gone, gone. Right, because I mean, I think it's reflective of her yeah. realism of, you know, that sure. life is done. Sure, I'm sure. going to make this new life for myself. But then at the same time, not just story elements, but the depictions of the black characters. Like Prissy is just incompetent and right. a liar and grating. I'll say it. Yeah, yeah her voice is horrible. <laughs> Butterfly McQueen, who was yeah. the actress who played Prissy, she... Both her and Hattie McDaniel got a lot of letters from the NAACP. They got press saying, don't do these roles. Mm. And, um, you know, obviously they did them. And um, Butterfly McQueen tells the story how they wanted her to eat watermelon and spit out the seeds. And she refused to do it. Mm. And um, she said, you know, they tried all the black actors on the movie. They kind of had their own little clique. You know, she said it was a role. You know, they were actors. It was a role they were playing. They tried to do it with as much dignity as possible. I mean, but for that time, yeah, you know, but then, like, Hannah McDaniel won the Academy Award, but she wasn't allowed to come to the Oscar ceremony. Yeah, like that's... Or the a, premiere, excuse me. She wasn't allowed right. to come to the premiere. I, I, I know, and I remember George Clooney name-dropping Hattie McDaniel as, like, a, a way that Hollywood is, you know, not out of touch. And I was like, yeah, no, yeah, that is true. But she was playing Mammy. But I mean, I, but at that time broad. it was accepted. I under, yeah. You know, it's not. I, I'm not saying it's right, of course. Right, right. And it makes me very uncomfortable when I saw it in the theater. It was really one of the first times you know I had seen it so many times that you know I was like, oh, like oh, yeah, oh, yep. Did, when, you let know, me ask you: when you're when you were really young, did did you even notice any of that stuff, or was sure? It... Yeah, but I knew it was just a movie. You know, and I knew I wasn't watching reality. It was, you know, a context of his time. And I think even as a kid, I understood that. Hmm. You know, it's like, you know, watching a 1939 movie. If you remember the old Tom and Jerry cartoons? Mm -hmm. Yeah. They had a mammy character, mm -hmm. you know, it was mm -hmm. very offensive. Yeah. You know, and you knew it was complicated. I mean, and that's, I mean, like, will this movie continue to be a legend? I don't know. Yeah. For all the good things, like you've been saying all night, you take two steps back. Like, you think how beautiful Olivia de Havilland is. But then you see the scene where Big Sam says he doesn't want freedom anymore. Right. You know? But then you think, well, this movie was made of its time for its time. You know? Yeah, that's that's a tough thing um, for me. Because I've heard someone say, and I think it's smart, hindsight, hindsight is not insight. Correct. Yeah. And to look back and say, well, I can't believe they would depict people that way is not necessarily it's not helpful but it is a valid question to say is this a movie we should continue to watch mm -hmm. because of that i would say birth of a nation is not a movie that we should continue to watch and another thing we're talking about here is how much 
has gone with the wind and perpetuated some kind of mythology. Yeah. Is that what you're trying yeah. to get at? Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I think maybe at the time it did. Now it doesn't, I think. I don't think it, I think well, we no, see I don't it think people now. look to Gone with the yeah. Wind, but I think it started a cultural thing that oh, for would, sure. yeah. would continued <laughs> then that I think the logical progression is Gone with the Wind and then uh Dukes of Hazard. <laughs> but no, <laughs> I, I mean almost that's thought that where, was a sequel, but yeah, uh, a, a lot of people did. I it was mistaken. Um, <laughs> I had to read the trivia. <laughs> <laughs> uh but it's 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 a step in that progression of ignoring the fact that the civil war was fought over slavery and yes states rights but what did the states want the rights right. to do right oh you know make their own laws yeah own laws to do what <laughs> so let me ask you guys who was your favorite character in the movie hmm. um for me it's either Rhett or melanie i think melanie you've seen that sort of character be a doormat so often the, the movie shows you can be a good gracious forgiving person and still be strong and still stand up for yourself and still survive yeah, my favorite scene is the scene between her and Rhett toward the end when mm-hmm. after she falls down the stairs and Melanie comes to comfort him mm-hmm. there there Scarlett's gonna get well and there can be other babies no 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 she couldn't even if she wanted to after what she's been through well of course she could I'm going to No, Miss Miller, you mustn't risk it. It's too dangerous. Children are life renewing itself, Captain Butler. And when life does that, danger seems very unimportant. I've never before known anyone who was really brave. I pray God things go well with you, Miss Miller. And I want to thank you for all you've done for me and for Scarlett. From my heart, I thank you. Like, I love that scene, yeah. the friendship. But in the book, um, it's really pronounced, the friendship between Melanie and Rhett. It's mm. kind of like off to the side, mm. and they kind of make these decisions about Scarlett and Ashley that impact them, and they never know it. Yeah. And it's really nice. Yeah. It's almost like you're asking two questions of who you like, because for me, it's like, I think I respect Melanie the best, mm-hmm. and I think she's the best character in the movie. But who do I want to watch for four hours? Right. I mean, it's Scarlett. I think there's a reason she's the protagonist. I mean, she just, she embodies Mm. so much boldness and that stubbornness, I guess, of it all is just something that in a movie is really fascinating to kind of watch on screen and watch how it unfolds through these different types of melodrama, you know? She kind of wore on me. For me, Scarlett needs Melanie and Rhett Mm -hmm. to be watchable. Yeah. Well, actually, I'm going to bring in some listener feedback here because we actually had um, one of our listeners, uh, Chris, wrote in because if he had called in i have a feeling it would have been yelling i yes because he he wasn't gonna sugarcoat it christopher said um he hates this movie with a passion i asked him to kind of maybe explain (laughs) what it was that he hated so much about it and so i'm just gonna read what he said he said okay here it goes yes the film is incredibly racist but i'm sure you'll cover that the main reason i hate this movie is scarlett o'hara I love women. I want them to succeed. Women make the world go round. But Scarlett O'Hara is intolerable. I even think Vivian Lee is a wonderful actress, but I cannot stand Scarlett. I will refrain from saying something violent, but man, she ruins everything. Was she supposed to be annoying? I don't get it. I would rather root for Walter White, that's from Breaking Bad, (laughs) than her. 
When part one ends and she gives her little speech, I just want to puke. I feel nothing for her. When Rhett leaves her at the end, that's the only satisfying scene in the whole film. Hmm. <laughs> Your friend has some problems with women and strength. <laughs> I don't know about that. Um, I can see. But he what... doesn't elaborate why he hates her. Like, what is it about her that he he hates He's, so much? Yeah. What What do you find so annoying? I'll say this for Chris. I I said um, back to him. Do you still think it's worth watching at least at least once mm-hmm. as a classic, or do you think it's time to say goodbye? And then he wrote back. He'll say uh, with resentment, yes. I can see what he's saying uh, about being irritated by Scarlet. I feel like I've seen it in other movies where the character ruins everything and they never learn. Like, don't you see that your selfishness caused right? X, Y, and Z, and she doesn't really. She never learns it permanently. But I mean, that's life, though. I right? Mean, do we ever? Right. I mean, that's and what I, I love about the movie. Mm-hmm. One of the things so much, and we don't know what's going to happen to her if she ever does learn it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We don't know what's going to become of Ashley mm-hmm. or Rhett or you know, Mammy. You yeah. know, like you don't know. That's why the movie is going to live. I think because you always want that inch more yeah. so you're going to rewatch it and maybe no. figure it out. Right. I agree. I think I think just in my recollection and if the movie had ended at intermission I would say yeah. Scarlett's an irritating character who never learns and gets what's coming to her. I also will say that I did there were times in the movie where I did feel satisfaction when she was getting her mm-hmm. comeuppance. That that party that Rhett makes her go to it may have been extreme, but I was all. I also was like, "Good, she doesn't well, get she, to hide." Yeah, right. yeah, it's that feeling every parent has about disciplining their child. Your child does something that just yeah. drives you crazy, mm-hmm. and you know it needs to be addressed. And you're always trying to fight with, "Well, mm-hmm. how do you address that? And what's yeah. too much? And what's too little?" And you know, sometimes you're thinking, "Yes, good, that kid yep. needed mm-hmm. me to do that no, because absolutely. they they learned their lesson." Or even if they didn't learn their lesson, there needs to be some yeah. kind of consequence yeah. for what happens. And I'm going to give that consequence to them if they don't get mm-hmm. it naturally. And then there's the other part of you that <laughs> right afterwards is like, "Whew." This person's a human being. Did they really need that? <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think definitely on rewatching it and certainly in talking about it, I see um, the depth of Scarlet beyond her selfishness. You should read the book, I think. Is there something in the book that is highlighted even more? Oh, than- I mean, her. I mean, you, in the movie, after reading the book, in the movie, you just get a just a fraction of who she is and her motivations and hmm. what she goes through. And I think you see a lot of that, not just with the, the story in the movie, but with Vivian Lee's yes. performance. And part of what's so irritating about her in the beginning is why she's so good in the role is her facial expressions. She has the most infuriating, mm-hmm. smug... Snobbish. Yes. She arches yes. her eyebrow. Oh my yeah. gosh. It's amazing. But then by the end of the movie, those looks, those eyebrows, everything are softened, or I should say worn down. The edges Mm -hmm. have been chipped and roughed smooth by the way life has worn on her. Well, in every way, her power has been challenged. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, even sexually, her power Mm -hmm. has been challenged. Mm -hmm. And that's really the power she wields at the very beginning, is just this power of every man. Mm -hmm. At least that's what the movie wants Mm -hmm. you to think, is that every man would love to be with Scarlett O'Hara. Well, and that's why the mirrored scenes of the corset because she was getting ready. Like that was almost her sharpening her yeah. weapons. Yeah. To battle. battle. Yeah. Yeah. And then in the second instance, it is a measurable 
way that she has lost that power. Mm -hmm. Yeah. She's lost two inches of power. Right, Um, right. And two, I just thought of this. That's so great. When she makes the dress from the curtains, that's her mm-hmm. battle armor. She's getting ready to go back. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know, back to fight. Yeah. Again, in the green, uh, whereas before she was showing way more mm-hmm. shoulders, pulling the dress down, and Mammy didn't approve. This one just covers her completely. She's more defensive rather than offensive. And I think Vivian Lee, like part of it's makeup and stuff, but she ages so clearly. In not just the way Mammy does, let's put gray on her eyebrows, mm-hmm. but in a way that's like, she's a different person. She's got different priorities. She's somewhat different priorities. She's got different approaches to how she's going to manipulate and use her power and different things. Like, she's just learned a lot. And I think she is supposed to be irritating in the beginning. Oh, she's yeah, supposed yeah. to be cocky. And, and childish. I childish, think she's supposed yeah. to be. Yeah. Uh-huh. You talked about how the book, you actually see a lot more of the motivation mm, yeah. in her. And I, I think this time around watching it again, I think I kind of saw a little bit more of, I didn't, I don't know that I would go as far as to say mm-hmm. I empathized with her entirely, yeah. but I could definitely see her motivation. Mm-hmm. I understood why she was doing things the way, even the terrible things she was doing to her sister. I mean, right. she's just, in some ways, she's a very calculated oh, personality. Yeah, for sure. And, mm. and it is out of self-interest. I think it's interesting that, that Chris brought up Walter White that you see someone who is so calculated in knowing exactly what he should do to get himself ahead and mm-hmm. being smart and cunning enough to make that happen. And you do see that in Scarlet. Mm-hmm. Well, you um, see that in Rhett too, and that's yeah. why they're the perfect match. And that's right. why I think the movie you know, does he have a bit of a modern feel one. to it. Like We're used to seeing that now. We're yeah. used to seeing that in characters yeah. of, people, very true. of people who, through their cunning and calculation, we almost respect it. Like we yeah. almost, Even if we don't necessarily agree with what they're doing, we have to kind of stand back in awe and be like, well, look at them work. Mm-hmm. You yeah. Know? yeah. Yeah, well, and that's why they end up getting married. He convinces her. Right. He doesn't... But he really does love her, though. I he mean, does. You know. I think they both end up loving yeah. each other. But to get Scarlett to agree, he had to make it right. advantageous. Yeah. She had to see let's, what was in it for her. It was a business yeah. merger. Let's, yeah. take, let's combine your wealth with my wealth. Can you imagine? We'll mm-hmm. build whatever house you want. So we've talked a lot about... I think we've actually all come around to really, in a lot of ways, appreciating this movie for what the movie is. Mm-hmm. But the reason we were going to actually originally do this episode was to kind of talk about the way uh, the South is portrayed and the way we feel about that with what's been going on, um, especially with the Confederate flag and, and Charleston. And, and what people and, are identifying with when they say that the flag should still fly. Or exactly. Sort of like the whole... The Southern pride. The, the Southern pride, the mythology of the South. So do you watch it a little bit differently, I guess? Well... I think I, I, I do. When I saw it on the big screen last year, when um, it was the first time I'd ever seen it on the big screen. And like I said before, I was mesmerized by the technicolor and the sound and the music. But yeah, I, it really hit the mammy, the prissy, you know, the, the opening. But I don't know. I think we should always keep the movie. I don't think we should ever put it to the side. I think the movie is important as a wonderful movie made during a wonderful time in entertainment. But I think that we as viewers with what goes on in the world and reality, you know, our judgments will evolve. Mm -hmm. I mean, you look at this movie and I think, I really think like her story, you see the characters for me, that's the movie. Does it make me uncomfortable at parts? Yes. But a lot of movies around that time do, you know, should we never watch them again? That's up to you. Mm-hmm. You know, if you really are offended by it, don't watch it. But I, I really think this movie is going to live forever. Maybe not in the same way it has. It'll just be different. Mm-hmm. It's not a history lesson, of course, but 
we're looking at a movie about history that isn't there anymore. And, you know, it's up to our judgment and our feelings of how we, you know, reconcile that. What you're saying is a really good point in that the movie, as it goes on, it exists alongside new movies now. For sure. So, like, especially when I was reading that Patterson Hood essay in New York Times, and he was talking about reconciling 12 Years a Slave with Gone with the Wind, I was like, well, I'm just glad 12 Years a Slave exists. We have that now. Like, we have this dichotomy Mm -hmm. that we can draw, and I think that's what drives the culture into a deeper conversation. If we start saying, well, we should never watch that movie again, then 12 Years a Slave almost doesn't have as much meaning to it. You need that contextualization of the entertainment of the past, and especially if it's entertainment like Gone with the Wind, that you can still see that certain aspects of it really do apply still to our modern condition, you know, like the relational aspects, the motivational Mm -hmm. aspects. Those don't go away. As you said, those are very timeless. And I mean, both of you got caught up in it watching it again. Right, exactly. You know, and I still do too. And And if what hangs you up about that movie is that glossed over portrayal of this southern antebellum aristocracy we do have movies that are very very good at depicting the reality of Mm -hmm. that all right so we we normally wrap up our episode by going through and and first of all asking how our relationship is doing if we're best buds if there's a mutual understanding or if it's complicated right but i think i think that this discussion is less about our relationship you and me and eric right but it more like how do we feel about the movie? So I think we should say, are, are, Gone with the Wind and us, are we best buds? <laughs> right. Is there a mutual understanding or, or is it complicated? So what do you guys think? Well, I'm not best buds with it. I'm warm indifference to it. Warm <laughs> indifference, okay. Fourth category. <sighs> yeah, it's weird because I would say I would say it's complicated, but that I, would I make think me think that, that would make you think I didn't like the movie, right. but I did. Here, so I'm going to keep it as in, it's complicated, but with those. Yeah, uh, I, I'm with you. It's, it's, a, it's a positive, it's complicated. Yeah. It's, it's only complicated because there is an aspect almost outside of the movie. Yeah. That is keeping it difficult. I feel like I have a Scarlet Rat relationship with Gone with the Wind uh-huh. where, you know, it's always going to hurt me. Sure. And, you'll keep coming but back. I'll keep coming sure. back. Sure, sure. <laughs> if you guys have uh, things to say about Gone with the Wind, let us know. Always on Twitter, Facebook. Email us at feedback at canwestillbefriends.net. We got a, a, a phone number you can call. We do. Leave us a voicemail. If caps lock isn't enough to get your anger, <laughs> or if emojis don't show your uh, exuberance yes. enough, Please do scream into that telephone to mm-hmm. us. The number is 847-306-9532. You can give us a call at any time, and you'll just get our little uh, a little opportunity to leave a message for us. We always love to hear from you. Yeah. Anyways, I, I do definitely want to thank you, Eric, for yeah, coming again. Thank Thanks. you very much. It was a pleasure. It was great. It's always great to have you and your insights, and, yeah. and, and especially into this movie, which you've seen so many times. Yeah. I just <laughs> want to say that um, the last surviving cast member in the movie is the one who died. Olivia de Havilland is still going oh, strong at 99 years old. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Maybe she'll listen. One of our Maybe. listeners put yeah. that in his Maybe. email hey, too. Olivia, Olivia, give us a call. Yeah. If your great grandkids have shown you how to use podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a little, that's a little ageism <laughs> for you. History us will look thing. kindly yeah. on that <laughs> remark. I, I believe. 
All right, so uh, Ryan, why don't you go ahead and uh, let our listeners know what we're going to be discussing and watching for our next episode. Uh, next episode with the newest Mission Impossible. Rogue Nation. Rogue Nation Protocol Ghost. Coming out. Three. That's right. It's the third yeah. Rogue Nation Ghost uh, Protocol Ghosts. Yeah. Three. That's right. Third. Anyway, everybody's talking about this movie looks exciting again, mm-hmm. as the Mission Impossible movies are. Um, got me and Nate thinking. Hey, we haven't seen the original, not the original original, 1996. Yes, the original. Brian De Palma directed. Tom Cruise starring. Right, Mission Impossible. That's right. Um, and I'm excited to see this again because I remember really liking it when I was yeah. you know 12 or so when I saw it. I thought it was great when um, I first watched it. And I watched it a lot when I was a kid. Yeah. I wasn't a kid. I think it was in junior high or something. So Yeah, I don't know the last time I saw it. I was probably not even in junior high the last yeah. time I saw it. It's been a long time. But I remember liking it. I'm looking forward to a little bit of antiquated technology. Yeah. Uh, I'm looking forward to that scene in the room that he can't touch anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, some good masks. Masks are great. There's some gum. That's right. But uh, spoiler alert. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. We I'm don't a- necessarily disagree on this one. This is a morbid curiosity. The angle is really nothing more than new Mission Impossible is out. Let's watch the original. the original. I haven't yeah. seen the original in a long time. So Can you believe it's been it's been almost twenty years. That is and, and the fact that Tom Cruise is still you Doing know, all his nailing own it. Yeah. And everything. Yeah. But yeah, we'd love to hear your thoughts on Mission Impossible. It is it's streaming true. on Netflix exactly. if you have a Netflix subscription. Which you, surprises me. I feel like I would have watched it if I had seen it. Yeah. Are we just slacking? Is the algorithm getting it wrong and not yeah. putting it up front and center when yeah, I open up my Netflix? I, I will, I I will say Netflix. this is on Netflix. I blame Netflix completely. Way mm-hmm. to go. So please, uh, if you, if you want to watch it with us, get it on Netflix or get it from wherever you can, library, what have you, and let us know what you think. Yeah. And we want to thank you so much for listening to our episode of Gone with the Wind. Yeah. And please let us know what you think of that as well. Until next time. Yeah, until next time. (laughs) It'll be next time. (laughs) 